0: Hi everyone! Thanks for joining Creative Connections. I'm Adam Dear, and today I am joined by singer musician Ryan Smith. Ryan, how you doing? I'm well, thanks, mate. How are you? I am brilliant. Thanks so much for joining me. A
1: pleasure. Thanks for asking me. That's All better right? to do on a Saturday morning. It's either it was either mowing the lawns or get interviewed by Adam Adam <laughs> Dear. What do you think I chose?
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> I probably would have mowed the lawn. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> With all this isolation stuff, has that uh, helped or hindered your creativity? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, well, I
1: actually like a lot of time on my own. I need to carve out a lot of time to think and process thoughts and emotions with God. Um, <laughs> isolation, you know, you hear horror stories of different people and I think it affects people in different ways. But for me personally, my personal experience has been that its it's been a gift. Um, from God like it I mean it's let's just say that it's created more margin that I otherwise wouldn't have taken to my own volition so you have a uh, bit more disposable time on your hands and I think when you've given a lot of time you can reap a lot of time and that's certainly been the case and I feel like I've given a lot of time over the years and I feel like I'm actually reaping a lot of the time that I've given to do things that I love to do which is to think and process and exercise the muscles in my brain and ponder thoughts and contemplate. So I've been able to do a lot of that. And it's been really good for me. I've enjoyed it. It's a positive experience.
0: Yeah. sweet. So it's just kind of forced you into this place of chilling out a bit. Pretty much. I mean, for years, I thought I was probably a bit of an
1: extrovert and maybe I was, but I'll be turning 45 this year. And I'm starting to realize that, and maybe we do change as people over time, but I'm starting to realize that there is an extrovert side to me being that creative, type and uh it's it's great because uh when you do honor that extroversion you eliminate distractions in your world um when you don't make apologies for being that extrovert you can declutter your life and i mean being around people are fantastic but i I think i think when you're a creative it's it's healthy to have a start time and a finish time as a means of controlling things it's not about manipulation it's about management and i think it's good to be around people but not to the degree that a good thing suddenly becomes a bad thing or it becomes excessive. Mm. Um, you know what I'm saying? So I think, yeah, I think yeah. for me, it's like it's it, it, when it's measured, you can you can control it, but not in a manipulative sense, but in a sense where you're managing your life and you're managing your boundaries and you're managing your emotional space.
0: Yeah. And so have you ever felt, I mean, as a performer, you know, you've, you're used to being on stage. Do you feel, have you ever felt that pressure to be, more extroverted, or to be the life of the party, or anything like that. Yeah, my
1: whole my whole life, I felt that. My whole life, I felt that, and and it's taken me a long time to realise that sometimes that can be projected or transferred onto you from others. They don't mean to do it. They sort of might probably see you in a light, but mm. but it, it, it's probably one of the biggest mistakes we've made, or one of the most misplaced expectations we've put on others over our whole lives. To think that just because somebody is a performer or somebody use a flam, you know, like a um, extrovert or some, like, not an extrovert, sorry, a, uh, a high, high profile or high influential person in a, in a public situation doesn't mean to automatically equal that they are a people person when they come off stage or they're no longer in that performance environment. And I think it's easy to associate um, those people who are performing and giving out and giving out and giving out and taking people with them in a, in a public situation to think that when they come out of that performance space, they can be just as um, as high octane of a personality and they're giving out to others, but it's not the case. And I think we've often probably been disappointed thinking that the people we look up to, you know, they're not who we think we are <laughs> when they're not who we think they are. Mm-hmm. And our expectation of them can be displaced.
0: Yeah. Was there ever a moment where you had that, with someone you look up to where you sort oh, yeah, of, yeah, you yeah, had sure. these expectations of someone and then it yeah. didn't really work out.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of musicians I used to go and see live when I was a teenager and in my early twenties, a lot of musicians that I looked up to influences love their form of expression. And on stage, it was like, you know, fireworks going off. It was exciting watching these young guitar players, but then you meet them in private and they're incredibly shy. They're introverted. They can't wait to get out of the room when the gig's over. They just simply can't be around people because they, the life has already been sucked out of them. They've already given, 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 and they've got nothing left to give. They now need to go and do a deep recovery somewhere. But people are like, oh, no, this show's just beginning. Now we can pick their brains. Now we can ask them questions. And that's a mistake I certainly made in the, in the hopes to get close to some of these people I looked up to, only to realize that who they are off stage is not necessarily who they are on stage.
0: mm. Yeah, that's really interesting because you, yeah, you just sort of have these expectations of what people are like on stage, sort of these two two sides to every person. Do you think that creative artists have a responsibility to develop these to ve- develop their gifts?
1: Oh yeah, I think if you're born with an aptitude for something, you've got a responsibility to develop it. Absolutely. Um. I do. I, I think if you're born with a gift, it's been identified by others in your world and by yourself. Um, I mean, we all have free will and the, and the power to choose. That's the only power we have. But I think, I think what a shame it would be to get to the end of your life and think, "Oh man, I didn't really develop that." I think I think we 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 uh, get grieved about the wrong things, you know. So we get grieved about our mistakes in life. But I think a life that that gets to the end of itself and it and, and it's not, hasn't borne as much fruit and been as developed in as many areas as it could have, mm. that's way more disappointing than the mistakes we make along the way. We fall hard, we make mistakes and we grow. We shouldn't get hung up on those mistakes and suddenly find ourselves in a destructive thought, pad, but keep moving, don't stay, keep moving. But really the goal is to develop. So at the end of your life, you, you, you leave this world with a sense of relief and not regret.
0: Mm. And is that in some sense linked into pursuing your dream as well? Is there – how do you – what do you see the role of pursuing a dream? Oh, yeah, that's a tough question. It's that – I'll tell you about why that's a
1: tough question is because if you are a spiritual person and you are somebody who is – um emphasizes a spiritual side, less practical, but very spiritual. In other words, you're thinking about your divinity. You're thinking about God. You think about eternity. You think about purpose. You think about why am I here, all that sort of stuff, yeah? There's a Mm -hmm. constant tension between being born with the power and the freedom to choose and to dream, but also with the opportunity to consult the one who created you and find out what he wants you to do with your life. Mm -hmm. And that's a tension that never goes away. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. there's a symbiosis between the two but sometimes you can, you can basically lean uh, too far in the direction of one and sacrifice the other and vice versa. You, you have to somehow be flexible and adaptable and, and live with the, the, the inattention of, of, of those two things. Um, mm. Continue to dream but learn to handle disappointment. Continue to serve God but not at the risk of being disloyal to yourself. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. So was there a moment in your own life when you felt sort of torn in to, or pulled in two different directions? Definitely. Yeah, definitely.
1: I I had a lot of dreams as a kid and, um, you know, a lot of those things happened for me. A lot of those things I would say came to pass for me. That I can look back and go, yes, I believe for this and this and this and this and it happened and I'm satisfied and I'm thankful but there's a ton of stuff that I also wanted that never did happen. Still hasn't happened. And, and I have to ask myself the question, well, um, is it yet to happen or what if it never does happen, right? Some of it's happened, mm. some of it hasn't. But I will say this, on the stuff that hasn't happened, there's a lot of it that I realize why. And I think it's because some of those things I dreamt were bigger than my pain threshold and bigger than my willingness to sacrifice, so, so there are some things that happened that I was prepared to sacrifice and I had the capacity and the appetite and the desire and I was willing to pay a price in those areas and the pain didn't worry me. But there's been a few other things I've wanted that have never happened and I do recognize now the reason they haven't is because I simply don't have the capacity for pain or the capacity for discipline to see those things achieved.
0: Right. And do you think, is that something you're born with or can you manufacture that drive or, or passion or Sources.
1: To, yeah. Yeah. These are great questions. Well, it's a discovery. Like there's no black, and white. like I'm a very black and white person, but I've had to learn to embrace the gray. And so when you ask that question, are you born? Like that? that's all about exploration with God and with your maker and also self-discovery. Um, mm. When you say, you know, do you think you can develop your capacity? Well, in some cases, yes. And in some cases, no. See, I think, yes, yes, we can develop our capacity in some things, but other things we can't. And there are just simple limitations in our lives, boundaries, ceilings, impossible things to get past and get over because it's linked directly back to our limitations, our physical limitations, our financial limitations, our um, family of origin, where we were born, the country we live in, the people that we know, um, our marital status, like all of that sort of stuff. We have kids. We don't have kids. All of those things are limitations over our lives, which is not. And I think the word limit has been given a bad rap in the 21st century, particularly in the Western world. We go on about, let's break the sound barrier. Let's push limits. If you want to be the next president, you can. If you want to be the next Jimi Hendrix, you can. If you want to sing like John Farnham, you can. Right. But that's actually not always true. Sometimes there are things in our lives that we're never going to get past and it's not to frustrate us. It's actually to protect us because um, if we were to eclipse those limitations and those boundaries, we would end up becoming conceited and proud independent, and we would stop becoming reliant on God and on the people around us.
0: Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, And I was thinking, you know, you've had a long career as a musician. You've, you've written and produced three solo albums you've played on, you know, many other albums, are there some, what would you suggest is a good starting point for someone who does want to have a career as a musician? That's a great question.
1: Yeah. Look, I think music. Okay. Well, the first thing is you got to realize that music uh, you've never have, you've never arrived in music ever. There's never a day where you've ticked that box and you've arrived. You are forever unraveling, growing and developing. And it takes your whole life, right? Music demands your whole life. And just when you think you've given everything and reserves, you've given out of your reserves, music sort of laughs at you like the bully in The Simpsons and goes, ha-ha, you haven't given <laughs> enough, you need, to, you need to give more, you know? Yeah. And so I think if a person wants to be a musician, this is what I've realised after 30 years of playing music, music will teach you whether or not you're meant to be a musician or not. <laughs> music is the greatest teacher. Well, you'll find out whether you've got the aptitude and the desire, and the appetite for music. Music will actually become your greatest teacher because of what, how much it demands of your soul, of your life, of your time, your energy, your patience, all that stuff. Um, and so, if my box turning something out, be more to recognise that um, it's not as easy as you think it's going to be. It will always take way more energy and time and patience than you thought it would. But, but um, the rewards for sticking with it are enormous. And if you can learn to honour yourself and your authentic self, even if that means you simplify your approach to music, you will be better off. You try to become the fastest gun in the West or you try to become King Kong and, and King of the Kids amongst all these great musicians, Right? sometimes that may not be the place that you shine. As a musician, if you actually try to play an A game but you've really been wired for a B game or a C game, if you try to play an A game as a C game player, you'll end up embarrassing yourself. But if you stay within your game and you honour the boundary lines in your life and you play within the game you've been drafted for, you'll end up shining.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, learning to stay in your lane, work with what you have while still growing. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, Is there... Are there any moments when you've been playing on stage that have really stuck with you? Was there some kind of encounter, you know, where you just, you either grew, developed your skill, developed yourself, or it felt like it was a stepping stone into something else? Yeah,
1: there's definitely been a handful of times over the years. I can remember one time in church trying to be really clever, musically creative on the instrument. I was very young. I was about 20, maybe 19 or 20 at the time. And uh, it was in church. and I remember. and long curly hair look like (laughs) my sister look look like my sister yeah and um and i remember uh, i was in church and the senior minister turned around and and said to me it was in a revival meeting an all-night prayer meeting i was playing and he said to me um he walked over to me while i was playing and people were praying and singing he said don't try and be too musically creative just work out what the holy spirit wants you to do and then do that and that was and the simple advice that he gave me i stopped playing and i waited for about five, 10, 15 minutes on that stage. Uh, and I just practiced the art of restraint. Everything inside of me was, it was so tempting to play, but I didn't, I held back. And after 15 minutes or so, I felt an ease to step out and play. But as I began to play, I had, I feel like I'd become a vessel of honor, um, in that period of waiting. And suddenly I, it wasn't me. The music began to play itself. So that was definitely a defining moment for me. And I, I caught a revelation that, that day that um, we can get ahead of God. We can get ahead of the Holy Spirit. We can get ahead of, even of ourselves. And we need to actually slow down the pace that we... So that day, I definitely used to a musician as a creative and I learned to honor a pace that I felt was right for me that enabled me to process what God was saying to me and more importantly, to become that vessel of honest that would come through me because the more I tried, the more I was stifling it. The other time I could say honestly was a very powerful moment was when I was playing with Kari Job at one of our church conferences that we had and I was I was band leading for her. She's an Mm -hmm. international worship leader. She actually was singing a, a song uh, leading the congregation and she turned around just ever so slightly to, to hush the band, not in a aggressive way, but a very gentle way, just like lowered her hand while she continued to face the, the congregation. And I automatically gave cue to the band to pull back as well. And, and the music just floated. And I've, this has never happened to me. I've had some very powerful moments in worship before corporate worship, but this one was probably the most powerful in 25 years. And what happened was the lights changed in the room. And I know it was, it was less about the lighting console and the lighting operator up the back. It was something different. Uh, there was a manifestation and I felt like my inner life, my, my interior world left the ground mm. and I felt like we had, left this present dimension and we began to smell the fragrance of heaven and it lasted about 10 seconds and i'll never forget it and i was reminded in that moment that we have a whole lot of spiritual faculties that enable us to taste eternity while here on earth it was amazing
0: yeah right so would you do you think that music in and of itself is spiritual
1: i do definitely Uh, i think it's the universal language we've all been made in god's image right the moment you throw words into a song suddenly you're able to interpret those words across cultures so they can have different meanings. Right. But just the sheer melodies, the vibrations themselves, that's why instrumental music is so powerful because um, music and those vibrations are the universal language. Um, So, um, yeah, like I, I, I think uh, it is entirely spiritual and, and uh we can, we can start to apply it in a natural sense, but it will never reach its full potential until it's been applied for the purpose for which it was designed for, which is to be of a spiritual nature, to shift darkness and to, and to bring heaven to earth. I mean, music um, is one of God's gifts to us, but its origin is really worship. It's, it's, uh, it's the place where he is glorified, magnified, exalted, And the angels in heaven are circling the throne, singing to him right now, singing the same Mm. words, I might add. And every time they lap the throne, they're reborn. What they sing is simple. It doesn't get tired. It just gets younger and younger and younger.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Has there been moments in your life where you felt like you could turn to music in a sense to play through something or... Um, that's sort of happened uh, more as I've gotten older. I was a bit
1: more of a, let's just get this done, like very much an implementer for many, many years. But mm-hmm. in my late 30s, I, um, I don't know what it was, but I, there, was a, there was something that changed in my life and I didn't see it coming. And it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it was definitely a confusing thing at the time. And basically what happened was all of the good feelings around God and worship began to evaporate. I, I, I stopped feeling God in the manner that I used to feel him. And I don't know, some people call these moments a crisis, some call them a burnout, some call them a trauma, some call them, you know, um, breakdown, whatever. They've got a whole lot of terminologies for it. For me, it was a transition into the next stage of my life. And I think God was burning away all of these false layers and false constructs and pretense and things that we build up over the years to protect ourselves emotionally. And I started to play music in a different manner then because, um, and I started to, to, to God began to speak to me in a different way through just simply listening to music as well, going through that time um, and and being healed uh, for there to be a deep healing in my soul, just through simply listening and through playing as well. It was the, my approach suddenly changed.
0: Mm. And given this sort of period of isolation, do you feel that music or creativity will change in some way when things start to go back to, you know, inverted commas normal?
1: Yeah. Well, that's another great question. I'm reluctant to cast any, um, uh, any assumptions about how things are going to be different when we come to the end of this. And I'll tell you why, because, because, um, The moment people, this is just my opinion and I don't want to come across offensive or critical in any way, shape or form, but I think the moment people begin to um, say, this is why this is happening and this is what's going to happen at the end and we're not going to emerge, excuse me, the same way, I think it's dangerous. I think it's far more wise to go, this is a mystery. This is an unknown, a super unknown. We don't know what God's up to. Yes, it's a disruption. Yes, it's an interruption. It's a rupture. It's disturbance. It's whatever. Um, and it remains to be seen what what will happen at the end of this and the reasons why behind why it's happening. Um, it, it's way better to, to because we just don't know. Mm. And I think when people assume to know, even sharp people who are, have got a prophetic insight, I don't think we should silence the prophets. I think the prophets are amazing. And I think, yes, their job is to actually crack the code and to forecast the future and bring some kind of insight and discernment towards the wider body of people, particularly those in the body of Christ. But at the same time, we also need to acknowledge that um, we are not in control and we don't have all the answers, no matter how sharp we think we are. And uh, what will happen as a result of this remains to be seen. We just don't know.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really wise way of approaching it. Um, Just linking back to how we started with, with isolation, with rest, do you think you can be restful and productive?
1: Yeah, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I, th- I think we've really missed this whole concept of, of rest. Um, we sort of, you know, the, the world as we know it, and particularly in the West is work, 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 go, 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 achieve, 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 crash, take a vacation, right? And that vacation wasn't all was cracked up to be. <laughs> that, that seems <laughs> yeah, to be exactly. our, 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 our pattern in the West, yeah. right? Take cheap flights to Bali or Asia or Hawaii and, and crash on the beach. You've just killed yourself. You've done days and nights and days and nights. But then you go away and you, let's say you might get sick. And if you're fortunate enough not to get sick, it's not all it was cracked up to be because you're so wound up and it takes time to come down. I think that uh, rest is something that is um, God's gift to us. Sometimes it's more concentrated uh, than it is at other times, but everything that we do, and this is my conviction, everything that we do should be coming from a place of rest. So our relationships, we should be relating to one another from the place of rest. Our creativity should be coming from the, from the restful seat. Um, the way we love and serve other people from a restful place. Even our work and our achievements should be coming from the inner place of rest and peace, unmanufactured peace and rest. And then one day a week, that Sabbath is the day where it's emphasized to a a much higher degree, where for a 24-hour period we stop and we discipline ourselves to do the things that light us up and give us joy without feeling guilty or ashamed of not doing enough, you know, and we actually go and think, hang on a minute, I am not some, you know, uh God is not some sort of taskmaster who is basically ready with a big stick to whack me when I step out of line. But no, I'm made in his image. And that day is a gift from from him to us so that we could stop and acknowledge that I'm a human being worthy of care and rest and I have likes mm. and dislikes and things that I enjoy doing. And so I'm going to do them and uh, um, I'm going to go ahead and do them and uh, I'm going to maximize my enjoyment and, and get a whole lot of delight in them, which in turn delights him. So our lives should really be functioning from a place of rest.
0: Yeah, great. Because I think that some people, particularly creatives, may feel guilty for, you know, I'm not practicing enough, I'm not doing enough. How would you suggest someone get around or work through that kind of guilt of going, well, you know what, I actually do need to have some rest. I do need some downtime.
1: Yeah, well, I think... Any time there's to uh, aiming for perfection, it's gone too far. It's, it's, you're trying to attain the impossible. And perfectionist sort of dances on the borders of of being psychotic in some ways because we're trying to achieve something that's not possible to achieve. Um, and we're in, suddenly in competition with God then, you know, I've got to be perfect, got to be perfect, got to be perfect. There's, having perfect motives and aiming for perfection are not the same and i think um, like it's the same thing um, as uh, you know like when we stop we can feel like we're being lazy and unproductive but we're not stopping we're pausing to consider and to contemplate to think to rest it is still somewhat active the gears change and i think um, i think I think creatives need to remember that the only gift they have on offer to the world is themselves. And so if they are in not great shape and they're striving for perfection and they're comparing themselves to everybody else around them, and they're not creating from a restful place that comes out of an awareness of their unique design that they've been created in the image of God. And there's a uniqueness about their expression. Then um, they've missed the part of the entire exercise. It's gone too far. And it's now moved into
0: perfection. That's my conviction. And just sort of going back to when you're talking about some of the guitarists you used to watch, that used to inspire you and just, just music in general for when, you know, say you're in your late teens, early twenties, are there things you've noticed that have changed in the industry and within church musically?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think 20, 30 years ago, um, everything was bigger, better, faster, more, more, more. And um, also, I think there was definitely a, um, an expectation in both the sacred and secular arenas of, around um, excellence. Excellence was a big message. Right. You know, um, practice was a big message. Getting it right was a big message. And, and it was backed by a theology, particularly in the church, that, you know, God wants the best. And, you know, King David, the Davidic anointing required that he choose people um, who played with skill and God doesn't want mediocrity in his church. There was a theology that backed this uh, need to do things at a high level, function high, do them well, dress the part, look the part, practice, so that you're you're not bringing a shabby offering to God. But I think what's happened is that... we've redefined excellence and the manner in which it was uh, approached in the past has very much changed. Mm -hmm. I think now that different forms of expression are starting to be celebrated um, and not, I think the bias and the prejudice around music and and performance has somewhat been smashed. Um, Where there was once a strong bias and prejudice, that's all gone now. There seems to be a wider general acceptance across the board. Um, And I think also, that um, things that were once celebrated like technique and speed in a musician or or vocabulary and um, being versatile in an actor or in an artist. Those sorts of things tend not to be so important these days. They've been replaced by things like authenticity. If you're somebody who can play one note on your instrument or stand still as an actor in silence and it be just as moving, once upon a time that maybe have been ridiculed as... Um, the absence of technique, or mm. um, boring, or uh, what's the word? Um, uh, not very accomplished. But now, gosh, if it if it touches the human soul, leaving that space, then uh, who's to say it's not excellent? Who's to say it's not powerful? Who's to say it's not effective? So yeah, so the things we used to emphasise, emphasise rather, uh, have changed.
0: Brilliant. Well, I think that is a pretty good note to leave things on. Thanks so much for chatting with me, Ryan. It's been awesome. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure you like and follow Adam Deere on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And join me next week on Creative Connections.